for a moment as we pray. And will you just, just pray this prayer with me? Will you say, Holy Spirit, open my heart to receive. Open my ears to hear. And open my eyes to see. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For the next couple of weeks, I hope I can finish this series in two weeks. I can't promise you that. But I, I want to get through all of the questions that you guys have sent me. And uh, I'm going to try to be quick about it. In order to be quick, I'm, I'm going to put the scriptures that I've researched in slides on the screens underneath your questions so that maybe you could take a picture or you could go back on YouTube and Facebook and rewatch it and you can go do some research for yourself, okay? So consider this a little bit of Sunday morning seminary, all right? And some people might, you, you might not like or agree with every question that's asked and that's okay. They don't bother me. I, I'm just glad that you're asking these questions, okay? So get ready. All ready? Well, ready or not, here we go. All right. Here's the first question. How can you believe in the rapture when the word rapture isn't even in the Bible? Okay, that's our first question. Great question. I'm glad somebody asked this. Okay, fun fact. The word Bible isn't in the Bible. <laughs> but we still believe in the scriptures, don't we? To quote good old Billy Shakespeare, what's in the name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. The word rapture is not in the English Bible, but the event is there and is loud and clear. Okay, so I'm going to read you just a, a few of these scriptures on there. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4.15. For this we say unto you, by what? By the word of the Lord. In other words, take note of this. Apostle Paul is saying, this came to us directly from Jesus. This is not our own idea. This is not our own theory or theology or our own concept. This comes directly from Jesus. You see that? Anytime Paul says this, you need to pay close attention. This comes directly from, if you write in your Bible, you need to underline this. This comes directly from Jesus. For this sweet say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Here's the key verse, verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up. Someone say called up. Shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So what we call rapture, the Bible calls caught up. It's the Greek word harpazo, which means to be snatched away. Again, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. First Thessalonians calls it the meeting in the air or being caught up. The Greek calls it being snatched up. In Titus, it's called the blessed hope and his glorious appearing. But it's all talking about the same thing. Okay, Titus 2.11, for the grace that God bring, of God that brings salvation is appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Why? Looking for the blessed hope. Somebody say blessed hope. And glorious appearing. Somebody say glorious appearing. Of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Those are two other words for the rapture, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior and the blessed 
hope. All right, so pop quiz. Again, this is Sunday morning seminary. You, you got a quiz. You already got a quiz this early into the course. But according to 1 Thessalonians, who rises first? The dead in Christ. Okay? So if that happens when we're called up, if the dead in Christ rise, when we're called up <coughs> raptured, uh, to meet the Lord, then 1 Corinthians 15 is also talking about this same event. It has to be. The Bible doesn't disagree with itself. The same guy wrote both letters, 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's another scripture talking about the rapture. <laughs> there again, it's all the same Event. If you guys want to put that slide back up, that's on. First Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 15, and Titus 2 are all talking about the rapture. The reason that I want to talk about this question this morning is because there's a conspiracy theory out there that the rapture was an idea that was invented in the 1800s by Christian fundamentalists. In fact, it's called the rapture racket, okay? The rapture racket, if you will, put 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 on the screen, okay? Because this criticism is actually proof, according to the Bible, that we're living in the end times. It is literally a sign of the times that people are denying the rapture. 2 Peter 3, knowing that this first, in other words, this is the first thing you need to know. You need to pay attention to that there shall come in the what? Last days, this is a sign of the times, scoffers walking after their own lust, next verse, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? That is a sign of the times. A scoffer is somebody who mocks, who ridicules, who makes fun of, but they don't just say, where is his coming? They say, where is the promise of his coming. They question is that even in the Bible? Is that not exactly what people are doing today? It's a sign of the times, church. It is a sign of the times. Can I point out that Second Peter was not written in the 1800s? It was written 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Jesus talked about the rapture. Jesus said in John 14, 3, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back so I can take you with me. Right? Jesus said, I'm going. I'm, I'm leaving where I am. I'm leaving planet Earth. I'm going to my Father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you there, and I'm going to come back and get you that where I am you may also be. You all with me so far? He's not talking about when he comes back to earth to establish his kingdom at the end of the tribulation. No, he's talking about taking us to his father's house. So this is an event that happens before then. Okay. And Jesus didn't say that in the 1800s, did he? Nope. Said it 2,000 years ago in the scriptures. And he even gave us warnings about the rapture. The parable of the fig tree. The parable of the ten virgins. The parable of the talents. The thief in the night. The weed in the tares. All of these were warnings to be ready for his coming. 
Matthew 24, 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Luke 17, 36, two will be working a field. One will be taken, the other left behind. The message of the rapture is a big deal in the New Testament. So let me ask you, what do you have to gain by denying the rapture? Because if you ask me, you have everything to lose. Because Jesus said he's coming back for those who love his return, who love his coming. He's coming back for people who are watching and waiting and are ready for his return. I believe this whole idea of a rapture racket, this whole conspiracy theory is nothing but a deception of the enemy to get people left behind. Amen. The word rapture may not be in the English Bible, but it is in the Latin Bible. Uh-huh. Verbum sapiente sides. That's Latin for I'm preaching good this morning. <laughs> you know, the word Sunday's not in the Bible, yet here we are. The Bible calls it one of two things. The Bible calls it the first day of the week, but more importantly, this, and this is why we worship on Sunday, the Bible calls it the Lord's Day. Come on, tell somebody, it's the Lord's Day. That's actually found in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1.10, the Apostle Paul got the whole book of Revelation on a Sunday. And that's why you should never miss church. If you wonder why Sunday is so important and why we worship on the first day of the week, it's because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, tell somebody, Jesus is alive. So how can I believe in the rapture? Because the Bible is very, very clear that it's real. Next question. Why are people so surprised that we're living in the last days? It's kind of funny. We went from one extreme to the other on this one. Why are people so surprised that we're living in the last days? I actually hope that people are being surprised right now. Because it's a lot better to be surprised now than, be, than to be surprised later when it's too late. Hello. But to answer your question, unbelief and complacency are also signs of the times. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 talks about a great falling away that will happen in the last days. In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Listen, just because the love of many will grow cold doesn't mean your love has to grow cold. Oh, come on, child of God. Now is the time to draw near to God. Now is the time to seek him while he may be found. Next question, if a Christian dies before the rapture, do they go to heaven or do they sleep until Christ returns? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes to both of those. Let me explain. Physically, the Bible, and if it'll help you, I'll post these on our Facebook page. You want me to post these online? That'd be easier? Okay. Because I, I know my big old noggin is probably sitting here blocking about 10 scriptures. That's all right. I'll put them online so you can, you can read them for yourself. But if a Christian dies before the rapture, do they go to heaven or do they sleep until Christ returns? Physically, our bodies stay in the grave or honestly wherever they end up, right? Uh-huh. Think about that. If you're cremated, that'd be pretty awesome resurrection, right? That'd be pretty gnarly like a big old cloud of smoke and boom, a body comes out. That kind of makes me want to be cremated and spread to the four corners of the earth. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm weird like that. 
So our body stays in the grave. Physically, we're dead, or like Jesus put it, asleep. But spiritually, we are with God the moment we die. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Think about what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Not one day, this day. Uh Uh-huh. There's no such thing as soul sleep. Okay, like some false religions teach, okay? You are not in a state of unconsciousness. Okay, I want you to understand that. You are not haunting houses. You are not stalking ex-boyfriends. And for the love of God, you are not making pottery. Okay, just stop it. You are not making pottery. (laughs) According to Jesus, when you die, you are either in heaven with him or in hell. There is no in between. Uh Uh-huh. You will either go to heaven or hell based on how you responded to Jesus in this life. Did you accept him or did you reject him? Was he a moral teacher or was he the son of God? Was he one of many paths to God or was he the only way to God? It all comes down to what you did with Jesus. Was Jesus a family tradition or was he the Lord of your life? Did you follow him or did you play church? You see, lukewarm doesn't cut it with Jesus. Jesus is not satisfied with weekend visits. He wants full custody of your life. Oh, you think I'm preaching hard. I just want you to make it. I I want Generation Church to be empty the Sunday after the rapture. I want to be there at the gates of that city cheering you on, saying you made it. You made it. You made it. You've received the crown of life. Where was I? Next question. How can I get ready for the rapture? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. It is not about religion. It is not about playing church. It's not about having your name on a church membership role. It is about you were spiritually dead and God gave you life. You must be born again. The Bible calls this a lot of things. It calls it being saved. It calls it being converted. In John 3, Jesus says, you got to be born again. The bottom line is this. When you invite Jesus into your life by the power of God, you are transformed not into a better person, into a new person from the inside out. Will y'all help me? Come on, say new person. I want you to understand this. When you're born again, you are not the same person you used to be. You might look the same on the outside, but on the inside, spiritually, you have been transformed. I'm concerned, though, that in the American church, there are a lot of people who are not actually born again. They go to church, they sing churchy songs, and they say churchy things, but the problem is they don't actually live any different than the world around them. They start going to church, but they don't live different than they did before Jesus. Church, that's a problem. 
Because the Jesus of the Bible, the Son of the living God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, that Jesus, when he steps into a place, things start to change. When that Jesus shows up in Cana, the water turned into wine. When that Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, the tables in the temple started flipping. When that Jesus walked into the house of Jairus, his dead daughter came back to life again. When Jesus stepped into a place, things changed. When that Jesus stepped into the fiery furnace, he took the heat out of the flame. When that Jesus stepped into the den with Daniel, he shut the mouths of the lions. When that Jesus stepped into the boat, the storm had to stop. When he showed up in the Decapolis, the deaf started to hear again. When he walked past Jericho, blind eyes started open. When he stepped into Bethesda, the lane started long. When Jesus enters the place, he changes everything. When he showed up at Bethany, Lazarus started walking out of the tomb. Jesus changes things. When he stepped into the heart of the earth, he let captivity And he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. When he stepped into heaven, he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in the temple of God, in the heavenly temple, and his blood satisfied the sacrifice for sin for all time. When he showed up at Pentecost, he baptized the church in the Holy Ghost and in fire. When he showed up on the road to Damascus, he turned an old, mean, hateful, murdering Saul into the great apostle. Paul! And you mean to tell me that that Jesus is in your heart? And you can't stop cussing people out. Let me tell you something. When Jesus shows up, you don't talk the way you used to talk. You don't act the way you used to act. You don't go to the places you used to go. And you don't do the things you used to do. So I'm going to ask you this morning, has he showed up in your life? When you're born again, there's a change on the inside of you. And you are not fundamentally the person you used to be. Now, I'm picking on the cussing Christians, but I prayed this morning, Holy Ghost, move. I pray that a wave of conviction, whatever your problem is, that the Holy Spirit is going to deal with you this morning. Because I feel the stirring of the Holy Ghost. God is calling us to be holy, to be set apart, to be His own unique, special, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled, devil-stomping church. God is calling us. To be ready for his return. How do you get ready for the rapture? You make Jesus your identity. Come on, somebody say identity. identity. Not your BFF. Not your co-pilot. Not the thing you do on Sunday. You make him your identity. Second Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for them. My God, if we would just get a hold of that, we'd be all right. 
So many people are living for themselves. But for him who died for them and rose again, when Jesus is your identity, this is how you live. I belong to Jesus. And because I belong to him, he's my identity. And because he's my identity, it affects everything I do. Everything I say, every relationship I have, the way I think, the way I act, the way I interact with other people. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you want to be ready for the rapture, don't find your identity in anything but Jesus. I don't just go to church. I'm a Christian. It's who I am. Uh, I'm almost done. <laughs> it's tight, but it's right. Next question. If you get raptured up, but you don't get rewarded at the Bema, do you still go to heaven? The great question. Great question. If you get raptured up, but you don't get a reward at the Bema, do you still go to heaven? Yes, because the rapture is not for unbelievers. There will be a whole lot of church people that don't go up in the rapture, but there will be nobody who don't believe in Jesus that goes up. If you're not familiar with what the Bema is, go back and listen to last week's teaching. The Bema is the Greek word in the Bible for the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all, somebody say all. Oh, y'all helping me good this morning. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Last week, we talked about the Lamb's book of life, and we talked about God's book of remembrance. Malachi 3.16, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened, and he heard them, so a book of remembrance was written before him. A book of remembrance in ancient times was a book that the, the kings of empires would keep, and they would record any act that anyone did for the king or for the kingdom. So the Bible says that God has in heaven a book of remembrance for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. That's talking about you and me. So God is keeping record of heaven of what we do for him in this life as believers. In the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment for believers is not a courtroom to judge heaven or hell. It's a platform to reward believers for their work in the kingdom of God. God is keeping record in heaven of the things that we do in this life as a Christian. So don't go into eternity with nothing. Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven. How do we store, store up tre heavenly treasures? I could do a whole series on this. I could talk about this all year long. And I kind of do every sermon I preach. So y'all come to church on Sunday. Amen. That was a shameless plug for Generation Church. 11 a.m. every week. Amen. How do we store up heavenly treasures? Every prayer you pray, every step of faith. You, how many of you have taken a step of faith recently? Amen. Some of y'all took a step of faith to come here this morning. Every step of faith you take, that is written in heaven. Every song you sing to the Lord, every word of kindness you speak to somebody. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a wonderful feeling when you find somebody who's discouraged and you encourage them and you see God impact them for good? Doesn't, isn't that a wonderful feeling? Every word of encouragement you share, every time you share your testimony, church, 
Every time you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, those groceries you bought for somebody and left on, the, the, and left on their porch, those clothes that you gave somebody, those meals that you served somebody who was hungry, every tithe, every offering you give, every need that you help meet, God sees it and he knows it and it's written down in heaven. Somebody needs to be encouraged. You feel invisible. You don't feel seen at all. You feel neglected. Listen, God is watching and he is making a record of everything you do for him. Now that's the happy part. But church, there's a warning in this too. Because the Bible says we'll receive, uh, we'll receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. That's why we have to take our walk with God seriously. We will be held accountable for the good and the bad. When you neglect your prayer life, when you withhold your praise, when you ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit, when you ignore conviction, when you run from God's prompting, when you gossip and complain and divide people, when you ignore those in need. I just read Malachi 3.16 about God's book of remembrance. But, but I reread the chapter this week. And I said, okay, God, I got to say it. I'll say it if you want me to say it. You know what God says in that same chapter, in that same prophecy? Verse 8. Will a man rob God? All right. All right. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. Don't think for a minute that God doesn't take note when we do and we don't support the work of ministry. Church, I, it's in the same chapter, the same breath, the same thought as God's book of remembrance. And you don't think tithing matters to God? This is a big deal to him. Mm, but you, you need your 1400 or so. So it's okay. When we get to heaven, God is not going to ask us how nice of a car we drove, how big of a house we lived in, the quality of the clothing that we wore, or if we had the latest at home. He's going to ask us, what did you do for my kingdom? All right, All right. I don't know about you, but I believe in what we're doing as a church. I believe in the souls that are being saved and the lives that are being changed. I believe in laying hands on the sick. I believe in feeding the kids on Sundays and Wednesdays. I believe in ministering to the homeless and the missions work that we support. But my challenge is, do you? I've taught for years and I've said it for years. God can do more with 90% than you could ever do with 100 And I've said it. And I've said it, and I've said that my wife and I live by it, but I've got to be honest with you, we don't live on 90%. If you want to know the truth, we live on 70%. We give away 30% of our income to tithes, to offerings, to generation churches, to the Sons of God missions around the world, to so local ministries, to national ministries. And let me tell you something. God has blessed us. 
what I really believe is true. But I'll be honest with you. I mean, I thought that I had faith in God, that God has needed abundantly, above and beyond I could ever have to think. Let me tell you, Jonah, I don't even know if I can say this, but I'm going to tell you. This year, God has blessed my life and I so much that for a time and through our offerings, when the year's not over, that almost this year, I have been able almost to give back my entire salary to generation two. Almost. I'm proud. slide for this one because I just want you to listen. Listen, Jesus talked more about money and hell than he talked about anything else. So that's going to be my theme for that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Money and hell. Welcome to Generation Church. We're the money and hell church. (laughs) It's true though. He talked about money and he talked about hell more than anything else. We could learn something from that, couldn't we? But here's the last question. This was asked the week before last. Somebody said, is hell real? Is hell real? Listen, listen to me. This is why I don't have a slide. I just want you to listen. Yes. Heaven is real and hell is real. But you need to know hell was not made for people. Jesus himself said that hell was created as a place of punishment for the devil and his angels. Hell was not made for people. But here's the the heartbreaking reality is that we send ourselves to hell by rejecting Jesus. Because the truth is God gave his only son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for sin for you and for me. And God will give salvation to anyone who is willing to come to him by faith. God has provided a way of escape to you and me. Listen, Buddhism is not the way. 
Hinduism is not the way. Assalamu alaikum, Islam is not the way. The Kabbalah is not the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus offers salvation, restoration, forgiveness, healing, and freedom to anybody who would put their trust in him. Jesus said, whoever God sends me, I will in no means turn them away. Jesus never refused anybody. Amen. Come to him just the way you are, just the way you are. Give him your life and let him set you free and let him make you a new creation. Amen. Here's two facts about eternity. One, hell is real. Number two, you don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Will you stand this morning as we pray? Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day, Lord. God, I thank you for waking us up this morning. Lord, I just thank you for the air that you have given us in our lungs, Father. Lord, I just thank you for every blessing that you have bestowed upon us, Lord. And I just thank you for this series that Josh is doing. God, I thank you that it is stirring something up in us, Father. That it's waking us up, Lord. God, I just thank you, Father, Lord, that this morning that you continue to help us to get ready. God, continue to help us to get ready for what you're going to do in us to reach the lost, Father. Lord, I thank you, Father, for changing us. Lord, this morning, if there's anything that needs to be changed right now, I just thank you, Father, for revealing it to us. God, search our hearts right now in this moment, Father. I thank you, Father, for revealing the things that we need to remove out of our life, Father, that's not pleasing to you. And Lord, I thank you for obedience when God reveals those things. God, that people don't just shove it off, but Lord, that they listen and they act in obedience, Father. Lord, let our hearts not become hard. Let us still yield to the voice of the Holy Spirit, Father. And when you speak, we obey. Lord, I just thank you, Father, Lord, that you forgive us and that you cleanse us of our worldliness, Father. Lord, we live in a fallen world. And Lord, I ask that you just forgive us for the things that we've participated in. God, make us holy and pure before you, Father. Refine us this morning, Lord. Press us and shake us this morning, Father. God, make us holy before you, Lord. Let our life be a reflection of you and not of the world, Father. Lord, that when we walk in the room, people know that you live inside of us. And not that we live in the world, Father, but that we are a reflection of the glory and the honor of God. That your glory shines upon us, Father, and not the darkness of the world, Father. Lord, let your peace reign in our hearts that it radiates when we enter into a room, Father. Lord, that our presence doesn't bring chaos and division, but God, that our presence in a room brings your glory and your honor and your peace and your love and your hope, Father. That it brings your anointing, Father. God, let our life glorify you, Lord. Let us lay down our desires today, Father. 
and follow you wholeheartedly and not ride the fence and be lukewarm. Lord, I thank you, Father, this morning that there are some that are saying, I'm tired of riding the fence. And God, this morning, I'm going to give my life totally to you. Just the way I am. God, I thank you, Father, that right now you're working on somebody's heart, Father, that has gotten cold and hard and doesn't even believe you exist because of things that have happened in their life. God, I thank you this morning, Lord, that they feel you, that they feel your presence, Father, and that they know that you are real, Father. And God, this morning, that they follow you with everything within their heart, Father. And Lord, for those that have walked away or they've backslidden, God, I thank you, Father, that right now with that voice of conviction that says, come home. God, that people are listening to it. And that they, they know that you love them, Father, with an everlasting love, Father. And that the things that they've done, that you forgive them. Because you are a forgiving God. And Lord, I just thank you that you're just moving upon hearts right now, Father. God, I thank you, Father, Lord, that some are putting their trust in you, where their faith has grown weary, God. That this morning, Lord, that you are just breathing fresh breath into their lungs, Lord, where they've gotten weary and they're tired, Father, and they're just exhausted. God, I thank you this morning for giving them new hope. God, for restoring their faith in you, Father. And God, that they trust you with their whole life. No matter what the doctor says, no matter what their bank account says, no matter what family or friends or people at the job say, God, that they trust you no matter what. God, be our strength today. Lord, we need you today more than we've ever needed you, more than we needed you yesterday, more than I needed you this morning when I walked in here. God, I need you more right now, Father. And Lord, I thank you, Father God, that as I'm asking you for more, God, that you set us on fire, Father. Lord, that as we seek your presence right now in these last days, God, that there is a holy fire that is falling on your people, that complacency is falling off of them. And Lord, that you're setting them on fire to do your work, to plunder the pits of hell. That more will come to you through our works, Lord. God, set us on fire, Lord. May we not waste another moment on things that do not matter, on material things, on cell phones and homes and money. But God, may we follow after you with our whole heart and focus on eternity. And Lord, I just thank you, Father, for being with us, for pouring out your spirit and for reviving us, Father. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for those that need a special touch, that as they raise their hands, God, and they trust in you, Father, Lord, that you know of every need that they have, and God, that you meet those needs. You know of healing that needs to take place, that freedom that needs to come into some people's lives, chains that need to be removed, and God, that you remove them right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you are removing obstacles that have stood in people's way, Father. And God, you are making a way where there seems to be no way, Father. 
God, that you're opening up doors of favor. And you're giving wisdom to somebody that needs wisdom in a situation, Father. That you're giving them strength. That you're closing doors that need to be closed. And you're opening up new doors. That you're removing some people from their life, Father. Wrongful influences that are pulling them down. This morning, I thank you that those relationships are ending in the name of Jesus. And Lord, that you're doing a new work in those people, Father. Lord, that they feel you right now like never before, Father. And I bind the works of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. Every negative thought, every ounce of addiction, I bind you in the name of Jesus, devil. You are a liar. And I command you to go to the pits of hell. Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you are the author of healing. God, that you are the beginning and the end and that the enemy has no place and no authority in our life because you placed him under our feet for a reason. And that is because we reign over him and we are victorious over the enemy. And God, I thank you right now, Father, that you are moving in people's lives and where the enemy has meant harm in their life, that this morning, God, that you are returning a victory. That what the devil has stolen, Lord, that you are returning a hundredfold. And that he has no place and he has no authority. And Lord, we give you praise and we thank you, Father. And just in this moment, we want to just give you glory and honor for the victory. We want to give you praise. We want to thank you for who you are. Because you are a good, good father. And you are a God that not, is not dead, but you are alive. Lord, we just thank you, Father God, and we praise you. And we give you glory, and we give you honor, and we just thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Isn't he a good, good father? And God loves you with an everlasting love. And this morning, if you, if when I was praying, it hit you in your heart and you said, God, that is me. I've walked away from you, or maybe I've never known you. And this morning, I want to serve you with my whole heart. I'm tired of this life that I'm not getting anywhere in. There's no peace in my life. It's chaos. I'm tired of it. This morning, he says, come to me just as you are. Come to me. And it's so simple. All you have to do is repeat this prayer after me and believe it with your whole heart. And I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in you. Save me. Set me free. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. And with your help, I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we just give God some glory?